Uh, hi, everyone. This is Max Mobley, author of Howard and Debbie, a new novel published by Rare Bird Books. Dean, over to you. Who, me? Where? Now? Yeah. I'm still on permanent waves. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Max, how are you? Good. So I hear you're a big Rush fan. I am a big Rush fan. How'd you get into those guys? Uh, you know, uh, the long story short, uh, the preacher kid down the block was trying to seduce my next door neighbor. And she was like 15. <laughs> and he brought over 2112, famous Rush album. And of course she hated it, but she knew the dorky kid next door. He loved it. And, uh, and I did. And it, it was my, you know, my Lord of the Rings through high school. It was my, yeah, yeah. escape during the tough years of high school and adolescence. Were you in Canada or elsewhere? No, California. 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 So wait a minute. You see, your story kind of reminds me of uh, Cameron Crowe when he did. Um, he worked for Rolling Stone at age what fifteen. Yeah, exactly. Some, I wanted to write for Rolling Stone, but they they never returned my call. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I'm a different guy than Cameron Crowe, so they probably made a good decision. How did you get into Rush? Oh, gosh. It was high school. I was working, uh, volunteering at uh, DC 101, where Howard Stern first started out. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, I knew him. That was about the only guy he would talk to. He was really cool, strange. He'd walk down the halls and stare at the ceiling all the time, and I'd walk by, and I'd grab his hand and shake it, and he would say, hey, Dino. <laughs> and so uh, I got to meet a lot of the, the acts that came in, and I learned very quickly. Love the music, but don't hate the artists, because they were different. Yeah, they, they, they were different in a very nerdy, dorky way, but uh, yeah. you know, it worked out. Yeah, but the music, oh man, just I loved it. Rush. They were <clears throat> still are sophisticated, smart thinkers, and uh, I was always turned on by that. I like really, really smart people who were trained in in things other than what they're actually doing. The guys in Rush brought over, jeez, uh, classical themes, yeah, and great classical training. So I just I caught on to that really really early and just fell in love with it. Then fell in love with Yes and uh, Star Castle, um, The Who. They were a little flipped out, but still loved their their great lyrics and music. Absolutely no, I mean Tommy is a great album. Who's next is an amazing album. Uh, and yeah, and, and I, I get what you're saying about Rush. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen them live, but it is. Yeah. Something to be if you like live rock and roll, uh, there is still to this day, in my experience, nothing like a Rush concert as far as what those guys pull off and, and the dedication of their fan base, which is mostly you know 40 something men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I loved it, and I agree with live, but uh, you know, the only thing that makes the live concerts kind of uh, grating, at least with me, because I, I like a, a, a personal concert i like being in a bar say the only person there uh with just a bunch of crazy people who were yelling and screaming yeah and you really couldn't had a hard time enjoying the music so i made my way up front um and and got to see these guys alex and and getty and it was just it was so great to feel it because these guys weren't simply studio musicians you know like they were back in the 60s um when a bunch of guys are doing their music. These guys, I think, were better in live than they were in, uh, in the studio. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, well, I guess we should probably talk about books and let's sell some books here. Um, yeah, so I, I, don't, I, assume, I don't know if you had a chance to go over Howard and Debbie. I assume you, you, you read at least some of it, if not all of it. Yeah, yeah. What a, what a crazy one. Man, you're uh, Stephen King in the making. 
Uh, it's very kind. It obviously was an influence. It is a dark book. I thought one of the interesting things in reading your book, again, I thought the writing was exceptional. Very deep subject matter, and that's the similarities I was going to say. Is Yeah, they are. You know, I know. I love how you hum- write. Thank you, and likewise. You got the humor, uh, man. That's why, that's why I identify with it. You, have, you, you can take a, a dark subject and, and put a really, really humorous spin on it that's not sugar-coated, but it's just it's funny. But it's, it's funny, and I don't think everyone's going to get it. You've got to be a thinker. You've got to be a smart guy to read your book. That's very kind. Thank you. And I will say that's one of the similarities I found between our books is that you're obviously tackling a very deep, heavy subject, but you've got a, a lightness and a sense of humor in your writing um, that, that makes it you know, uh, palatable, you know, and makes it enjoyable. It makes it, you know, who would who would think reading about suicide could actually be fun? And I'm not putting, I'm not, you know, and I mean, I want to be careful to say that because it is a huge problem in this country, and and it's a it's a scary, dangerous thing. Yeah. But it really was. You had that. You you. It was easy to keep going and 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 not get depressed. And and your character, likewise, was also both our stories. I think are character driven tales, and yes, your characters are. Uh, you know, Tripsy especially, but uh, Dr. Moore as well, both just really rich and complex characters. So let me ask you, I, I'm based on what little bio of yours I've read, you're not a psychologist or psychiatrist, is that correct? I am not, correct. So I've been around him and uh, even taught a course in med school, so I saw a lot of those kids who I know, they had already pledged to become psychiatrists. Um, so I, I know the chemistry, and, and I had... Over about 20 years, I interviewed more than 200 mental health professionals, and most of those were psychiatrists. I just call them shrinks, yes, derisively. And uh, if, if you saw the in, in the introduction, actually even before the introduction in the book, there the uh, I included, uh, I think, uh, Tallulah's Laws of Bad Medicine, yes. which I talks about shrinks yeah. in, in the most accurate way and people who've already read that say hey thanks for putting that in there and even those who who hated the rest of the book said thank you for that so no i was not a a psychiatrist or psychologist i was not trained there i was a scientist trained in physics and engineering and applied it to biology but um i've been an animal behaviorist all my life and uh, an observer of human behavior in general so i think that while other people would say, well, you're not an expert here. What are you talking about? I said, yeah, well, actually, I, I am an expert in this. I know exactly what I'm talking about. And I think that I put it in – I think I, I haven't sugarcoated it like, like you did not, your book. But I put it in humorous terms that are, as you put, palatable, and I like that. Yeah, and I, I mean, obviously, you know, it, I mean, it's a good story on, on its own. But it's, again, when dealing with such dark subjects, with both, both of our books cover, uh, having that lightness and that humor – uh, you know, because we don't want to, we don't want to depress the hell out of our readers, right? So, so it, it really helps to be able to have that style. It seemed very uh, natural coming off of your book. It didn't seem forced at all. It just seemed like this is who Dean. You go by. You prefer Dean, correct? Yes. Yeah. And this is this is just who you are as a writer. Am I am I right about that? Well, uh, I'd say yes and no because when I write, especially under, and I did this under Tripsy South, a seventeen-year-old at that time. Because I channeled her, and and I mean this sincerely when I say I, I would sit down in my room. It's a blackened studio, small, small cockpit, has just a few computer screens in front of me, no light anywhere else. And I, I have her, or she comes out of the black, and 
kind of taps me on my shoulder or strokes my head and she says, hey, shut up, just take dictation. Yeah. And and so it's this entity that actually does this, writes it. I don't think any of it is really is really I. I'm I'm not part of it. I'm just the typist. Now I, I don't in, I injected um, a little bit of John Moore from some of my past and people I had known, uh, but for the most part, he defined himself by channeling into my subconscious, and I just took dictation. So it, it's it's really not me, and I can't take credit for it. Your name is in there, but it's not the featured name for sure. Uh, but I can totally relate as, as a as a writer, and I'm I'm you know I come about this naturally. I I'm not an MFA person, although would not complain about being an MFA program at all. But it is it, I agree with you 100. percent It is really about just getting out of the way of the story and yeah, in yeah. that world universe and just get write everything down that's going on, and then go back and get the stuff that doesn't belong in there out of there. Yeah, yeah. So I got to ask you, who the heck is Debbie? <laughs> and where did she come from? Man, I never want to meet that chick. Right. Uh, I, I, that's <laughs> a great question. I mean, I think it kind of goes like, who, like who's, well, I would like to be Tripsy, actually, because she's, she's, she's so complex. But, uh, you know, again, it's, it's, you described it. You know, the way I describe it similarly is, is I just sort of, you know, when I'm in front of the keyboard, I, my head is peering through this window into another universe. And, and I'm able to be inside these people's heads as well, and I just write it down. So, boy, I don't know where they come from. I don't know if, if you have a better answer. I just know that they're there and that my job is to accurately as possible capture who they are, what they're about, yeah. why they're doing what they're doing, and what they're doing. I got you. Well, I've, I've studied the, the human subconscious for decades, anecdotally, and with an N of one, just myself. So I, I don't have... Um, a thousand people whose subconscious, individual subconscious, I, I've studied. It's just really myself. And so it developed some hypotheses about uh, what it is and how it works. And I found it to be very, very accurate. That, that And the human subconscious, as you probably know, is, is probably the most powerful entity within our mind. And it, we have... It's a joke that people say, well, you use maybe 10% of your brain. Well, that's baloney because the subconscious is using all of your brain. Yeah. And it's it's recording information that you have no idea about. And I tried to put some of that information in there, inject it into uh, Suicide Tango by talking about especially early childhood development and how kids are um, just open – Adults and everyone around them open up the top of the kids' heads and they just dump in all this information. So yeah. kids, for the first 15 years of their lives, are, are are learning so much. And it's not their conscious self that's doing it. The conscious self is really just a bus driver. So it's this very complicated and complex subconscious that we have that is really the engine that drives everything we do. And that, that's what I've studied. And I don't know, maybe I'll write about it someday. But right now I'm just injecting bits of the information I know and have learned about it and from it into a couple of the novels that, uh, that I'm writing now. Including- uh, really well said. I couldn't agree with you more. I think you nailed it. Um, you know, I don't know if you have kids. I have a 17-year-old. And, nope. And- Oh no! I mean, good, 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 but oh no! <laughs> no it's, it's, I mean, I'm lucky. I got you know. My, actually, my kid is transgender, so you know, cool. suicide is rampant in that community. Yes. So, uh, you know, How- reading the book at first, I'm like, okay, hang on here. But again, you, you, you. I thought you approached it 
sensitively yet humorously and and uh and so bravo but it is it's an epidemic it's an epidemic in that in the lgbt community you know uh it's yeah. an, L- an epidemic as you point out it's an em- epidemic in the military you know with our yes. veterans yeah, man, I was in the military, and I saw that. I saw a couple of guys commit suicide, and it, you know, I, I kind of make light of it because it was stupid the way it happened. Um, but um, it's the average person can only take so much trauma, and when they are overloaded, then they they don't know how to speak out because they're not in touch with the subconscious. Again, my hypothesis. If they were in touch with their own subconscious, then they would know exactly how to articulate everything that they're feeling. Yeah, and I think I would put, and I think you, you talk about this in your book, it, it, maybe not directly, but indirectly, that you know, we're also in this culture where you're not supposed to talk about it, where you are supposed to play yes. a brave face. And, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, talking. you mean just suicide? Yeah, it absolutely compounds the problem. I feel because you know you're yeah. supposed to just you know like like God, you know thank God we recognize this now with, with our veterans. You know World War Two, yeah. after all the horrors that they saw, it's okay oh. now go go get a job and have a family. Yes, you know? uh, and the, and the Vietnam, I think vets were the first ones to to where we go. Hey, wait a minute, there's a reason. You know these people are coming back the way they're coming back, and then it still took I don't know a couple more wars before I think PTSD was was. Yeah you know, became a thing. Um, yeah. so, so, so what was, what, what, what drove you to learning about this stuff and studying about this stuff? Uh, it's been decades in the making and I've been, I, I have thought about this because I've been exposed to, or was exposed to it as a, at a very young age. And so I was curious about, uh, why people took their lives. And I think the first time was when I was around eight years old and I was in uh, Germany. My dad was an Air Force fighter pilot and one of his young pilots, he was a first lieutenant, I remember he was at a party and he said, uh, goodbye, cruel world. And he went out and drove his car into a wall and he killed himself. And it's pretty much the same thing that James Dean had done about uh, 25 years before that, back in the 1950s, I think. And so I was curious about why a person would invest so much time in their own life and then cut it short. So I was curious about the things, that the stimuli that drove people mad, that drove them to anxiety, that drove them to into deep depressions. And so I wasn't necessarily studying suicide itself, but everything that surrounds it. Because suicide, you can't really study. You have to study. It's kind of like studying dark matter or dark energy. You can't see it, and you, so you can't study it by, on its own. But you, you can look at the effects that it has on all the surrounding bodies. Yeah. And and so I looked at all those all the supporting evidence surrounding suicide, uh, things that drove people to anxiety. What what um, what actions and behaviors in their workplace, uh, family, family life at home, uh, personal lives with with relationships with people, and I saw that most that not most, but a lot of teens simply had a lot of trouble coping because they were they were just inundated with so much information, and a lot of it was very negative. They they came from a really really tough home, tough background, and some of them made it, and some of them did not. So it's for me. It started out for decades ago, and it continues to this day. But I I find it to be 
a difficult subject, not so much to talk about, but to share with other people because uh, what I found so far with the people who shared reviews about this novel, Suicide Tango, is that they either love it or they hate it, but they're passionate about all of them are passionate about their love or their hate. And it's kind of making me wonder, well, should I have brought this out? And the answer is yes. So I'm no longer questioning that. I, I hope that in the very least it's not going to hurt anybody and that it will serve as a stimulus, some kind of spark that the powers that be cannot thwart or suppress in any way. And it will allow us uh, as you know, citizens of America and, and abroad just to finally talk about this subject openly and share our feelings about it because until we do that, this is just going to get worse. And as you know, the suicide epidemic, and gosh, it's it keeps increasing and getting wider and larger, bigger. It is, and and, uh, and we look at it like you mentioned your the fighter pilot that was a, a colleague of your father's. I mean, that's a person who arguably had made it in life. They they yeah. reached pinnacle of where they wanted to be. Same with like Chris Cornell and, and yes. so many oh, people. Yeah. So from our perspective, we look at this and we're like, how could, of all people, yeah. you know, you know, how could, it, how could they do it? I mean, sure, maybe, and maybe you could justify like the, you know, the morose alcoholic at the end of the bar or, or the, or the yes. insurance salesman at the dead end job. And like, you know, and we sort of jokingly say, yeah, I'd kill myself. But yeah. like, look at where yes. it's happening. And those are the guys who actually don't do it, and it's the ones who exactly. we think have everything are the ones that, that we're losing. So that's why you have to ask the question. So what is it in their sensational lives that drives them to take their lives? Yeah. Uh, well, one of the things you, you, you cover in the book, I think, which makes sense, is there is a, there is a chemical component to it, right? Oh, absolutely. There, it is to everything. That's yeah. why I got into neuroscience to begin with. And uh, interestingly, it was back when I was 15 years old and I, I made out a life plan, at least out until the age of 40. Because as you know, when you're 15, life ends at 40. <laughs> so, <laughs> and yet, uh, yeah. Yet when you're 17 and stoned, you decide what your entire life's going to be. <laughs> you know? So one, one, I, I was going to be a marine biologist because I had read the book Jaws, and uh, I wanted to be Matt Hooper. Although in the book, he gets eaten. I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'm going to go uh, with the, the movie version where he actually lives yeah. and be a marine biologist, study shark behavior, and then I wanted to go study uh, neurobiology. Back then, I call it brain biology because I didn't know the right term, and to study what, what really makes me the way I am. And then I was going to be an army ranger and then do some corporate or mercenary work. And so I did all those things, not at by age 40. It took about another 13 years to finish that. But um, I learned a lot from being in science that every behavior is, has an underlying neurochemical, neuroanatomical, neuro, uh, biophysical action and behavior. Uh, no behavior we do is, is an of itself, unto itself. Nothing. It, we're all driven and uh, are sometimes victims of our own neurochemistry and our own physiology, and we don't even know it, or we take it for granted, and we don't study it. And I, I think that a lot of people who, if they simply became aware of the fact that neurochemistry drives everything we do, biophysics is an underlying mechanism, and that our subconscious is the engine that drives everything we do. If we just learn those, some of those basics, even though they sound very complex, 
and they are, then I think we, you can at least have a begin a dialogue about what drives human behavior and then take that into the subject of suicide. And, and yet, even like, as you say that, you know, there, it still kind of bubbles out as emotions or art or pain or these things yeah. that, you know, and, and I'm reminded, the metaphor that comes to mind is, is, you know, the electric guitar. I mean, when you think of the, the science. Well, you behind, know that. You're a guitarist, aren't you? Yeah, I am. And, yeah, yeah. and, and, and it's fast. The, the, the technology of the, of the electric guitar is, is borderline on magic because it's just, yeah. it's, it's, it's a string vibrating or interrupting a, a magnetic field. And then, and, and it does it in a way that outcomes, you know, Jimi Hendrix or outcomes Rush or outcomes some song that yeah. makes you yes. cry or makes you, shake your fist or pound, you know, something. It's just amazing that that sort of connection between the two. And I think that's, yes. I think that's what, what you're talking about and what you co- uncover in your book is, is that connection between there's a chemical side and then there is sort of the, the output, which is the emotions and the pain and the, uh, you know, the things we feel. That's a great analogy. And, and the fact is if people, well, people don't really care about say the inner workings of a cell phone. They just want to use it. Right. And that would be a poor analogy for studying mechanisms of suicide. However, what you just talked about, which is a little bit easier to swallow, I'd say, if people would just learn some of the basics or at least be aware of the fact that there's no voodoo to this, to the subject of suicide, to the actual act of suicide and all the associated behaviors. If they knew that, oh, yeah, oh, they're just neurochemistry, maybe we can uh, you know, take them to, um, uh, I don't know, some – uh, MD who actually under, understands this uh, to a research institute and uh, test their neurochemistry, test their uh, cerebrospinal fluid, and, and and see if there's uh, some imbalance in there. In some cases, there is. There, yeah. there, in fact, I'm sure you can probably find an imbalance in anyone who is suicidal. And in the book, one, one of the reasons why I, I put so much neuroscience in there, in the mouth of uh, John Moore and some of his pet hypotheses is because I wanted to stimulate people's thinking. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Maybe there is more to suicide than just an act. Right. Exactly. Uh, And and I think those chemical imbalances, I think we're now, it's becoming more, more acceptable to, to, to talk about is the, is it's, it's, it's the environmental, mess we we find ourselves in yeah, yeah. I think contributed to that imbalance. Oh yeah. Hey, you know your your Debbie, you, we we didn't get to finish this but you know your Debbie kind of reminds me of uh who's that character Villanelle in uh Killing Eve? I mean the, the little psychopath. Have you seen right. uh, Killing Eve? A long time ago but yes. Okay, it's god, it's um you know just you know give give us a brief. What's Debbie all about? That that I gotta know because yeah. So you know, I I I I I don't. What is she all about? She's all she's basically she's about, you know. I, I run again. This ties into your story, right? She's about a woman who suffered major trauma, who had a good life until things went tor- horribly wrong, yeah. and then she never allowed herself to heal. She was never yes. really in an environment to deal with her trauma to where help was available. She just thought, well, I'm gonna do this on my own, or I'm just gonna pretend yeah. it never happened. And of course, that just made everything worse until uh, the trauma comes out in these violent, these violent, scary, despicable ways. And yeah. all through the book, all through Howard and Debbie, I'm rooting for her. 
even though I know how it ends, and even I know what happened, I don't want to give anything away. Uh, and and I've been and I've been surprised by people who are you know. There's two sides. A lot of most people so far that I've gotten feedback from on the book are are you know are happy when when Debbie gets her comeuppance, and and I was never happy when not not happy, but like they feel yeah she had that coming. I never felt that. I always felt like this poor woman. You know, and and yes. and I felt like she shouldn't have had those things happen to her, and I and I didn't want it. I wanted her to to make it in the end. I'll just say that. Oh, you know, that's a great point because if if we knew, or if people in general knew, especially lawmakers, what the what neurochemical and neuroanatomical physiological events happened to say murderers, rapists. Other people who may not have had any control over their behaviors in that moment, think about how life would be we and in in this book uh suicide tango uh John Moore talks about what life would be about in in the future when we can look inside a person their physiology and and know yeah. their behaviors immediately. And oh, I even brought that up to. What was the name of that technology? I know the name was Casey, but you came up with the sort of name for this future technology or this clinic that they go to to get. Oh, you know, uh, let's. Oh, the clinic itself. I think it's just a, a neuroscan clinic. Yeah, neuros. Yeah, yeah. And I thought, um, well, that, wouldn't that be a, a positive future for us all if you could just go there, get a scan, and just like you look at your bone, just like you get an MRI for your yes. body, you could get one for your brain. It's like, oh my God, wouldn't that? Rather than just let's just throw some. Drugs at you, exactly, that's and more yeah, chemicals at you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You, you brought up Debbie, and 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 again, there's there's parallels to, to our stories. Uh, I want to know where Tripsy South came from because she is such a a full, complex, flawed character who you are rooting for, even though sometimes you're like, gosh, damn, yeah. <laughs> Which is like Debbie. She uh, she had a right. difficult time, but in real life. I was uh, dating this lovely woman I was absolutely crazy about. And she had a 17-year-old daughter who was suicidal. And after mom and I broke up, her mom, and she and I would get together and talk. We'd go to McDonald's and just sit in the car, and I would just listen to her. She, I, I, and I, I'm not even sure why. She asked to talk to me. She, she would speak in machine gun language. She would hit you in the face with a thousand words in just a few seconds. And she'd never stutter or say, uh, she knew exactly what she was talking about. And so I, I knew right then that she had an excellent subconscious that was in tune with her conscious self because she could just go on and on and on and about and very lucidly about subjects. And she would talk about suicide in general and she knew what was wrong with her. And so I just, after I think we only met maybe two or three times, and, and then I lost touch with her. But I went right home and just regurgitated all the information that she had given me. I, first, I came out with that outline, and that was um, Tripsy's um, outline about suicide mm -hmm. and tw oh, the twelve steps of uh, suicide, or something like that. And and then from there, then everything just flowed. So it started with that young woman. Um, at least Tripsy did, uh, even though back when I was seven or eight years old, uh, seeing this guy, Lieutenant Darien, kill himself, um, that was the first 
act of suicide I knew. But Tripsy, so she starts out as this woman, and then the entity comes to me thereafter, and she fleshes out herself. I, I learn from her what she says, how she says it, and what her, her actions and behaviors are uh, through her. And all I'm doing is taking dictation. And so I learn I – don't, I don't want to say shape her character. She shapes her character through my fingers as I type. Yeah. No other people beyond her, though. She, that lady, uh, the 17-year-old girl – uh, she was the genesis of, or the Tripsy was, Tripsy's genesis was she. As a, as a writer, what more could you ask for? Because if you're able to, to, to find that character and go back to it every day to, when, when you're writing it, then and, and as long as you trust and follow that character like you've described, yes, yes, the story's yes. going to come out right, in my opinion. So how, how did you get Howard then? Interestingly, it, it kind of similar to, to, to Tripsy a little bit in that, so I, I, you know, there, the initial way Howard and Debbie meet is through a very early form of catfishing in the early days of the internet, yeah. when there were these cybersex chat rooms and stuff. And I worked with several people in, in the technology industry up in the Bay Area where I live. Um, I live in the Santa Cruz area. There was a couple of music companies as well, and uh, and they were using, they were basically kind of doing what Howard and Debbie did to each other online. They they would meet somebody under false pretenses, use a fake name, send a fake picture, have this you know, online romance and relationship going and then agree to meet in person. And then this, and then several of these men I, I, I worked with and had known, they would basically go to like a bar where they had set up a, a date or something. And, you know, the woman had no idea what the guy really looked like because he sent a fake picture. So he would just hang out at the bar and watch her get stood up because he would never, yeah. you know, the person never appeared. And then if he, and if he liked her or liked something about her, then he would go up and just meet her as a stranger. But he had all this information about her. Yes. And, yes. and use that to, no, you know, seduce no. her or whatever. And what it was a manipulation. Really Right, it's just disgusting to me. And they and and these people that I, I there was basically like three different guys I knew who were doing this, and they were bragging about it. They thought it was they thought they had found the new thing to get themselves laid, which is just so disgusting. <laughs> and so honestly, I set out to write a wouldn't book. Would you want to study that thing. though? What's that? You wouldn't you want to study that that yeah, type of psychopathy? First of right. all, figure out whether they are in fact psychopaths. To me, they sound like sixteen-year-old uh, kids. Not not necessarily psychopathic, but mischievous, really mis- mean-spirited, mischievous 16-year-old boys. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and completely unenlightened as far as the impact they're having on another person. You know, yes. they're all about themselves, right? And, which yes, is, uh, yes. When it comes to men, female, male-female relationships, that is a problem from the male side. So I, I initially sat down to, to, to write a story, and I wanted to hurt these people to kind of get a little bit of payback. <laughs> and, and then instead of what happened is this just kind of like with, 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 with Tripsy, this lovable dork named Howard Feck just kind of showed up and every day I went to write there he was and he knew, and he told me all about himself. Yeah. Uh, he told you know, he let me know all about his flaws and his fears and his, yeah. his social awkwardness. And so I just thought, okay, it's you, isn't it? And, <laughs> and I, and I just was faithful to Howard. Uh, and then later, Debbie, when she shows up. Oh, that's so cool. Good for you. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, we're about out of time here, but I want to ask one thing, and also I want to give you props on it. You, my friend, are the first author I've known who was bold enough to put negative reviews <laughs> in your in your book, which I, which I love. At first, I'm like, wow, this is so bold. I'm not sure I like it. But then by the end of it, I'm just like, 
that, that shows how much confidence you have in your story. And I think it also shows because of the way, because of how those were written, I think it, it actually supports the story and makes you want to read it more. <laughs> well, their passion, the, the, these people, the, the lovers and the haters are passionate about it. And there were, there were a few others in there that I, I left out because they were really, really nasty and mean-spirited. Yeah. Um, maybe I'll share that someday, but it, um, by a couple of they, – they look like psychopaths to me. But um, these people were really passionate about what they disliked. And some of them, at least some of the other negative – I don't want to call them negative. Some of the other reviews in the past um, helped me – I think edit this book in in a in a way that's more palatable and is more commercially acceptable because say two or th- two couple of years ago Tripsy had a potty mouth and she dropped an f bomb about uh, probably about five in every page and so you had like eight hundred f bombs and s words in there and people just said you know I love the story I just can't get past the next page because I'm going to see fuck or shit in there and so I I we did a, a defucking of the book and <laughs> <laughs> a de shit and a defuck yeah and and made it a much better book and that came from somebody who was so angry they they sent me personally an email and uh, so some of those are really helpful and as far as putting them I, I don't really consider myself brave in putting it out there i see it as just being fair and balanced for people who are who who paid say 20 bucks and postage to to read this book here here's what other people are saying about it i also put it on tripsysouth.com her website i think uh, something about um uh, oh, I forgot the title of it, but anyway, people could find it on there. So people, before they even buy the book, see what other human beings are saying about it. And I put about 10 or 12 of them up there. Wow. Did you get any resistance from the publishers on, on putting that on there? Because it is a bold move, I think. No, not at all. Oh, that's great. Well, that's because, uh, yeah, I'm just out of the loop then. But I thought it was brilliant and uh, and good on you. Um, well, I re- uh, we're out of time here, but I really enjoyed talking to you, Dean. Uh, good luck Thank on your you next books. book. I really enjoyed uh, Tripsy South, um, Suicide Tango. I just thought it was, again, I started going on. I don't because I've had suicide in my life, unfortunately. And I was, um, I'll admit sorry. it, I started, I started definitely. Uh, yeah. But you, your, your, Excellent writing, your humor, and your depth of characters kept me going, and I'm glad I read it. Well, thank you so much, Max. I really appreciate that. And I'm wishing you all the well for all the best for Howard and Debbie, because, uh, you know, I'm rooting for Debbie, too. <laughs> I love her. <laughs>